we're trying to create people who are a force to be reckoned with, who don't, who don't just know what they believe, but they know why they believe it. And they can defend it articulately, passionately, and without backing down. Not being a jerk, but certainly um, not letting down. Their, their truth and their core political belief is their religion. And they are so adamant and passionate and emotional about it because that is their God with a little G. God really pressed on his heart. You need to go back to the girl that you had that abortion with and you need to apologize to her. And you need to apologize to her face to face. Uh, fetus phobic is someone who is afraid of the natural consequences of heterosexual sex and is terrified of, of, of a pre-born child of a little baby. And I like to say that Roe v. Wade is the story or the court case everyone has heard of, but nobody knows anything about. Governor Walker, thanks for being here. Very great to be with you. I should say it's a pleasure for me to be here. I think Rush is doing that too. And he is he's basically saying, look, I may be dying, but I'm not dead. Dr. Alveda King to Feed Ace podcast. Dr. King, thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Jerry, and hello, everyone. But they have an objective. The objective is more tax money, more control, and a promotion of a political ideology. It's a pro-socialist, secular worldview. Hello, and welcome to another edition of Feed Ace podcast. My name is Jerry Serino, and I'm your host, and I'm here with talent on loan from Rush. And hey, speaking of Rush, the one, one of the favorite things that I've heard him say uh, is that if you want to really make a conservative angry, lie to him. And if you want to make a liberal angry, tell them the truth. And there's been a, a bunch of truth telling, and I love love, love to see the reaction of the left to the recent uh, case in Texas, the heartbeat bill in Texas, they are losing their minds. And it's all based upon uh, validating truth, which is that life is sacred. And joining me tonight is Lily Kate from the Lily Kate show. Lily, thanks for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yes, it's my pleasure. Before we get into the heartbeat bill, because you're from Texas, so, so that yes. everyone knows, and so that's part of the reason why we want to talk about this. Um, but I do want to talk to you a little bit about yourself and uh, your show. And then we'll talk about the heartbeat bill, uh, because as much as I can do to tick off the left in this, I want to do because I love seeing the reaction. So let's start with yourself. So tell us a little bit about Lily Cole. Well, I grew up homeschooled in Texas, um, in Houston, actually, where the biggest abortion facility is next to China. And I actually had a career in YouTube making content. I did social media influencing for a long time through my high school years. And I was back and forth between LA, back home, and just really trying to make it in the Hollywood elite world. Uh, soon enough during COVID, I found out that I absolutely hated it. I was totally miserable. And I actually started switching to do more political stuff. So now I have the Lily Kate show, as you said. I own a ministry and I'm a national speech champion. I speak for lots of different people. I'm with Turning Point USA, PragerU, and really just kind of growing my political activism on many different levels. Yeah, that's awesome. So are you in college, out of college? What's None. <laughs> I, I honestly, I looked around when I turned 16 and I had a full-time income on YouTube and I was like, why would I even go to college at this point? My parents always told me that I had the personality of someone who would end up not going to college or dropping out. And I was like, well, I might as well just not go in the first place and just make my dreams reality four years before everybody else does. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. Good for you. That's really great. And uh, 
there, there's so many ways to make a living and to do do things in a positive way and to impact uh, the, this country and the world. Uh, you know, college is certainly a good and great thing for many people who are doing it. But uh, you know, not that's for great. Everyone. Yeah, it's not. It's really not, and and it, that's okay, right? And yeah. you're you're finding you're finding your niche, and that's great. So, what motivated you ultimately? I mean, I, I couldn't even keep notes with all that stuff that you said that you were involved in. So, what motivated you to start your podcast, and when did you start it? I started about six months. Well, I guess it's seven months ago. I started it in January 2021. What motivated me was honestly since I had spent so much time doing YouTube videos, doing content, doing long format videos of like fashion, lifestyle, room decor, all that really unproblematic stuff. I realized I was really good at talking on camera and I have a classical education. So I was taught how to think. I was not taught what to think. And I took classes such as logic or rhetoric classes or speaking classes. And I love vocalizing ideas and finding the truth and cornering people in a position where they have to admit the truth because that's the only way people will actually learn. So I just really thought to myself, wow, why don't I just like try and do a podcast and make that my platform to be able to speak to people? Because my end goal in all of this is really to just be a public speaker, to talk about the truth, to talk about how to fight big tech and how to, um, like, like differentiating between the genders and why that's a beautiful and biblical thing. So that's really my end goal. And I think a podcast is a really good way to get there because it one lets me hone my ideas and two gives me a platform to have credibility for the things that I'm talking about. Yeah, it's truth, right? You're, you're, you said in there and you're, what you just talked about, you said truth, 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 multiple times. And that's really mm -hmm. what it's about. And, and I love that. And, and again, as I said, you know, the left really ultimately doesn't want to debate us. Uh, oh, no. Because they lose and they lose so easily because they're 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 debating on emotion, not on fact and reality and truth. Definitely, that's why the concept creep is such a a, a dangerous idea that concepts can over time change their meaning. Then the you know the meaning of violence, the meaning of silence, the meaning of a woman, the meaning of a man. All those concepts they like to try and redefine them and expand them as time goes on, so that we can't keep up with it. But the problem is, is that we know the correct definitions and we're able to keep up with it. That's why they don't want to debate us. Absolutely, very very true. Let's talk about the the heartbeat bill here in in your home state of Texas. Um, a, obviously, a great state, a very conservative state. I'm coming here from I'm from Ohio, yeah. and uh, we actually have a heartbeat bill that's tied up in the courts. So it passed, and it's but it's tied up in the courts. And I think there's a lot of them out there like that. So this was really exciting with Texas. So I want actually want to play just a brief clip here from. Uh, the president of Planned Parenthood, her name is Alexis McGill Johnson. Why is it that all leftist women, by the way, you know, have keep a keep their maiden name and their, you know, Hillary Rodham Clinton or whatever? It's a good question. <laughs> I can't answer that for myself because I know I'll take my boyfriend's name whenever we do get married. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess there's nothing wrong with it, but uh, it's just an observation. <laughs> Anyways, I want to play this and get your reaction to it. And then we'll talk about the heartbeat bill in Texas and, you know, some of the ins and outs about it. Cause I, I read it this afternoon and um, you know, while I think you need to probably read something like this a few times and probably a legal, someone who's a lawyer to help explain it, but I did go through it, but I guarantee you 99.99% of people don't know what's in it. They only know what 
uh, MSNBC says or what Planned Parenthood says. So let's yep. listen to Alexis McGill Johnson, president of Planned Parenthood, and uh, what she says. This happened after six weeks. And so the impact is very clear. You know, our uh, over the last few weeks, uh, Planned Parenthood providers, independent providers have been uh, trying to see patients to get them the care that they need all the way up until the last minutes uh, last night before midnight. And uh, today, if you are pregnant after six weeks and you need to terminate your pregnancy for whatever reason, you will have to travel out of state. And so the impact on, uh, you know, low-income communities, uh, BIPOC communities, trans communities um, is very, very real. And um, my heart just goes out to patients and all of the providers uh, in Texas right now. Yeah, so I'll, I, I have my own thoughts too, but I'll let you start and say, what do you say in response to that? Well, the first thing I would say is that it actually is true that there were like even the Daily Wire reported that there were lines outside of abortion clinics up until they couldn't perform any more abortions, which really is sad. It's just so, so incredibly sad that people feel like it's such an urgent thing that the decision that they made has to be terminated. So first of all, as as disgusting as that is, it is true. Um, the other thing is I've heard that Planned Parenthood is actually offering money or offering compensation for people who want to travel outside of Texas because, you know, you drive nine hours and you're still in Texas. Um, so the fact that they're doing that screams about how just desperate they are to kill little children and the agenda that they're pushing and the money that they will lose to be able to kill children. It really isn't a, a matter of like good and evil anymore. It's literally life and death. And I think that as conservatives, you know, we need to celebrate this pro-life bill, but also our responsibility doesn't go away when there are women who do face pregnancies that are unwanted. I mean, that seriously does happen. If there's an unmarried girl decisions, you know, mistakes still happen. And so as conservatives, this is our time really that we can show that being pro-life is still being pro-love. But I think that we need to also at the same time as being loving to these women who are in a horrible situation that, you know, have a really difficult decision on their hands. Jen Psaki literally said that it is a difficult decision and she you know consented that point from the white house podium and so conservatives and pro-lifers need to really show that they are loving they are the pro-love movement at the same time is pointing out that you're outraged because you can't murder children anymore and that's really something that we need to be hounding on because as we keep talking about that's the truth and if you know, we can start convincing people that life is good and life should be lived and life, a dignified life is what pro-lifers want everyone to live. It's not just being pro-birth, it's being pro-living a great life. I think that we need to be also redefining the, the cultural idea of what being pro-life actually means, because it's a lot more than just having babies. Yeah, definitely. And and I, I found intriguing what she said, as she said, her heart goes out to these people, you know, so you know, her heart, I wonder if her heart has ever gone out to all the babies being dismembered uh, every single day in Texas and throughout yeah. the country and throughout the world, really. Uh, so it, it just always is astonishing to me the way their minds work in the sense that they feel sorry for women, which is legit to feel but sorry for those circumstances. Yeah, in the womb. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so yeah, it, it just is, it's, just crazy. So a couple of things that if we go through the bill, I don't know if you had a chance to read it or, or you've done some research on it. Uh, you know, do, do you have any thoughts on, on sort of a, a summary of what the bill is and says and does 
Yeah, well, I'll first of all point out the interesting thing and the very clever thing about this bill is that it's not just a straight up heartbeat bill. This bill does not just ban abortion after six weeks. What it does is it makes by the people the act of an abortion, it makes it a suable offense. And I'm going to go into this a little bit because as you said, like, oh, you need a lawyer to do all this. And it's a good thing that my dad's a lawyer. So we talked about this and uh, my dad's a contract lawyer. So he knows all about all this kind of stuff. But usually when specifically like pro-life dudes, and I've, I've experienced a lot of them, they talk about, you know, how we can effectively ban abortion. They always say we need to criminalize the abortion doctor. And I totally agree. And the funny thing about um, the actual practical consequence of that is that if you, so, okay, so the way that criminal cases are outlined in the court is that a criminal case is an individual against the state. And the state has all, all the power. The state hires the attorneys if the, the person who's convicted cannot afford attorneys and all that kind of stuff. However, this heartbeat bill does not criminalize the abortion doctor. It makes them a able to be sued on a civil level. And why that's significant is, is because the state is facilitating this, the lawsuit between two individuals, which means all the power is not with the state for the criminal act that has happened. It's actually in the power of the people. And that makes our, you know, conservatives' arguments a lot more um, hard-hitting, a lot more fallible, and a lot more likely to actually win the lawsuit against someone who decides to, you know, abort their child, or sorry, an abortion doctor who decides to, you know, follow through with the abortion. Um, I'd like to also note that the the law, yes, it bans abortion after six weeks, and most women don't even know they're pregnant by then, but if a case does happen where she does get an abortion after that, and, you know, the abortion doctor knows that she's doing that, right, it doesn't criminalize the mother. And I think that's a really significant point that we need to be highlighting because, you know, it, they always love to use this argument, but the case of rape and incest and, you know, in the time where she's not going to the abortion clinic, feeling happy-go-lucky and not saying, wow, I just cannot wait to exercise my right as a woman. She's there because she's distressed. She's vulnerable. She's in a situation that, you know, it's it, admittedly, it's very life-changing to be in something of that nature. She's not in her best attitude when she's there. So it's really good that it doesn't criminalize the mother um, because then she would have to pay for the procedure that she's not consciously even really making that decision onto someone else. So that's the really fun part, <laughs> if you will, about this bill. It comes on to the people to, you know, be whistleblowers and to be active citizens and fulfill our duty of defending the unborn because we can do that in the courts in Texas now. Yeah, no, that, that's really interesting. Thanks for uh, discussing it with your dad. That's really great because... <laughs> Because I, I didn't I didn't quite grasp like I said I probably needed to read it a few times you know myself but but yeah that that was really interesting about the doctors and I but one one thing I did notice is that it outlines in there that, that a doctor needs to document all the things that he or she is doing documenting that they did an ultrasound documenting that they got a heartbeat that they informed the women mm -hmm. uh, so a lot of it is is simply about informing the women. I, I've had a lot of people on my show and talk to others in which they have said, you know, the doctors, the abortion doctors don't even want to know their patient. They don't want to engage with them. They don't show them the ultrasound. 
the technicians are told, turn the ultrasound, you know, turn the monitor away. And all we're doing is educating people. And that's, that's one great thing. So something else I'd love for you to talk about, and I don't know if this, if you saw any discussions on this and is, uh, and actually at the beginning of this, the clip that I just showed you, the, the host says that is that they're going to even go after Lyft and Uber drivers who aid in a bed in an abortion. And so you know, I read through the whole thing, as I said, and I didn't see anything on there. I kind of sort of see how they're construing it that way, but there's no way an Uber driver is going to be liable here, right? I mean, there's nothing. No, no, because they, you know, they don't get in the car and see a pregnant woman and, you know, maybe they're dropping them off at a Planned Parenthood. I mean, you know, they don't think to themselves, wow, this woman might be getting an abortion. It's my duty to stop her or else I'll face legal repercussions. I think really the the strategy that the president of Planned Parenthood is trying to do is trying to breed chaos and trying to breed fear and trying to breed, you know, outrage about all the potential possibilities of this bill and how it's infringing on women's rights. And it'll infringe on, you know, working class, minority people who are possibly driving an Uber. And, you know, she's really just trying to blame everybody else except the abortion doctor um, for performing the abortion and saying that they're going to get all of you who are involved, all of you who are taking part in this. But that's not... (laughs) It's not true, um, nor is an Uber driver liable if they drop a woman off at Planned Parenthood. There's no legal precedent for that. There's no cases. There are no cases to go look back and say, oh, well, that, you know, that's true. So uh, she's really just trying to fear monger right there. It, well, it's funny. I wrote down what you said. She's trying to strike chaos, fear, outrage, and she's doing it all by lying about mm. the situation. And, and it's that's what the left does on every issue, right? They, they create chaos, fear, outrage. They lie about you know, whatever the topic is, you name a topic and they lie about it. Well, you're seeing, you're seeing this exact same thing with the use of ivermectin to combat COVID, right? You're seeing all these new headlines about like horse tranquilizers, horse medicines, these foolish people are using this, you know, well, it's actually just an antiviral drug that was actually called like the, oh, what was it called? The magical drug or the magic drug for a long time because it cured so many different illnesses. All they're trying to do is a good and productive and wonderful solution to something that has actually posed a threat like COVID, um, they're trying to just hype it up and lie about it so that the chaos and their chance to grab at power doesn't actually go because the window for COVID is closing and people are starting to really wake up and say, okay, I don't need to wear this stupid mask anymore. Like, come on, y'all. It's been 18 months to slow the spread when it was supposed to be 15 days to slow the spread. It's a really, you know, they're trying to keep their window of opportunity open by chaos because that's what falsity and that's what error does. And the truth is calm. The truth is peaceful. The truth is a foundation. And there's no really way to argue against that. So the only tactic is to breed chaos and to breed, you know, all this fear and all these people saying, oh, but what about this case? What about this case? What about this one exception to your rule? You know, the exception always proves the rule, but you know, that because they want to keep that window of opportunity open. And we need to always like peg them on that because we know that's what they're doing we need to be stronger about saying that is a lie like where in the bill does it say that if you if you want to you want to talk about legal stuff then let's go read the document and debate about it but right now i doubt that any of these you know planned parenthood workers any of the officials of planned parenthood have even read the heartbeat bill all they hear is heartbeat six weeks and they know what that means because they've all heard little babies heartbeats before they've chopped them up and they don't want to stop murdering children because it makes them money 
Yes, it makes them angry um, that that something like this goes through. And, and actually, again, in a previous part, I think it was earlier in this clip that I showed you, uh, the president of Planned Parenthood said that it is this bill is going to be even more difficult. Uh, you know, with so much hardship for uh, the poor, for minorities, and transgenders. You know, they they always seem to find a way to pull in transgenders into everything, and I don't really know how it's going to affect transgenders yeah i don't know either because it's usually celebrated when trans people end up adopting or having surrogate children and then because they don't they cannot yeah i don't know i I don't fully understand the whole woke vocabulary i don't really understand all the woke arguments but if you hit the talking points if you say people of color if you say the oppressed minority if you say women if you hit all of those in just a 30 second you know tv clip you're going to go viral you're going to keep your window of opportunity open and you're going to be able to breed chaos and you know if conservatives can get their mind around we need to hit all the points y'all whenever we're communicating i think we'd be a lot better off but the left is really good at hitting all the points that they've they've put out for themselves i'll give them that (laughs) yeah well everything's racist and that's the thing like like even even this which which is so ironic and i i've talked about this before that they're calling an act like this racist when in fact more black babies are murdered uh in abortion than you know than any other uh their planned parenthoods are are in minority communities oh yeah Uh, margaret sanger founder of planned parenthood even planned parenthood is kind of had to admit now that she's she was a bit of a to say the least a racist and abortion was i mean go ahead in in new york city actually more abortions happen than babies are born and the majority of those are minorities a majority of those are little black children that black mothers are aborting so in in totality it's not conservatives that are the biggest threat to these babies it's their own moms and doesn't a baby have the right to her own mother that's always a question you need to ask them with but you are right i mean in like 72 percent of planned parenthoods they are located in minority areas just because of this ideology of eugenics and this corrupt ideology that, you know, people with disabilities need to be out, need to be weeded out, you know, uh, people with Down syndrome or little babies that have, you know, terminal illnesses. And they're like, oh, these need to be completely eradicated. And I'm like, huh, when's the last time that happened? You want to want to flip back to 1939? Uh, when Hitler was really, really raving about this kind of stuff, because what's going to happen next? You always need to look really good at talking about what happens now, but we need to start looking at what's going to happen in the future, okay? They're trying to massacre all these little children. Almost a million babies are, you know, slaughtered every year under the guise of feminism and women's rights. But what are they going to end up doing? What who, What's the people group that they hate the most? You know, white conservatives or, you know, just western people who subscribe to this western culture and it's a really big issue that we need to start thinking about just like the head of the secretary or the the secretary of i think defense when he said that i'd like to trade unvaxxed maga people for people in afghanistan and he was like yeah good point i agree with that so we need to really be watching out for what's the broader narrative and what what are they going to try and use this you know as justification to do to conservatives and to MAGA people and to unvaccinated people. Well said, well said. So when when we talked prior to setting up, setting this up, we, we talked about, you know, what, what you do and what your interests are. And you said you're very, very, very pro-life. And that's very, very, very good. Uh, <laughs> so just in the last few minutes that we have, what what other issue do you find yourself 
very, very passionate about other than um, abortion? Is there one of the other conservative issues that really sort of drives you? Yeah, and I would actually even go so far to say is that, yes, pro-life is obviously the most fundamental issue, but it's not the issue that I want to define myself by because there are so many people making so much progress on this already, and absolutely, I'm keeping up with all the latest news, but the three issues that I am, like, just burning for are one homeschooling and why you should homeschool it because I'm a product of homeschooling and moms need to hear the encouragement that you can do it I, my mom had six children she homeschooled all of them um, she's still homeschooling some of them right that's my first issue my second issue is big tech I have been censored out of my mind from big tech and the last thing that I'm really hoping to develop as I go forward is how to combat radical feminism even with conservative women they adopt this very aggressive, this very, you know, I'm just going to go own the libs. I'm going to go be a boss woman in the culture. And, you know, I find that that is oftentimes very unproductive and contradictory to when conservatives talk about, you know, having a family and why nationalism is good because nationalism supports you having a strong family and stuff like that. So I'm really, really, really passionate about combating feminism with radical femininity and talking to girls about how to unleash your biblical and God-given femininity so that you're able to create a productive society. <laughs> Men cannot be productive and without their women, right? Women inspire the best things to come out of men, and men are inspired by women. That's just how it has always been, and men did greater things when women were more unattainable and less objectifying for themselves. And so I'm really passionate about telling the two genders, which it's kind of ridiculous that I want to be the one to say this because it's no, so controversial now, but the genders or the sexes, whatever you want to call them, they are made complementary to each other. They are made to fit together perfectly as God's design is. And we don't need to be assuming that it's a competition all the time. Like it's just so bizarre that even, even conservative women, feel like men are always out to get them and they're not like men are not out to get you and destroy you in fact our culture and our society is so good at encouraging women we have created a corporate structure a power structure the government we allow women to do everything and in fact we encourage them and say you know what you can do both you can go have a career you can go make more money than your husband and you can have children and you can raise them well we don't say it's easy but we really do put that on a pedestal and we say now that is a boss woman we have this culture that you know real true first wave feminism that we want women to be economically, socially, and politically equal, that has happened. And they don't realize that that has happened. We have a culture that is fully evidence of that. And so where I really want to come in and say, look, we're all feminists in the first wave sense. I think all of us are, you know, very gross if you weren't, and I can argue about that. But what I really want to focus on is how radical feminism is now regressing all of the progress that real feminism has brought and how radical femininity can be the cure for that. Because we always complain about weak men and it's because the women are weak is also another reason why the men are weak now. And anyway, it's a really big and philosophical issue, but that's kind of the issue that I want to define you know, Lily Kate as I'm moving forward because it's so commonsensical and it's so orderly for a constructive society.
I'm going to have to have you back on just to talk about that topic. Cause that's uh, that is really a great topic and, and we're, we're in agreement on it. And obviously you just scratched the surface on, totally. on, on that topic and we can cover a whole show. So I would love to have you back on another time to talk about that area. Cause uh, that is a, that is really, really great. And I, I think it. you're, I think you're absolutely right. There is, there is a war. It's like, a, there's a war on women and there's a war on men and men are bad for, for being men. And it, it's, it's just nuts, but uh, I, I would love to talk to you about that further. Uh, Cause Let's that's a really it. great topic. So uh, Lily Kate from the Lily Kate show, please check her out on uh, any, I presume any podcast app. Are you on all the different apps? Yep. Yep. Spotify, Apple music, probably SoundCloud, any other one that you might listen to, but those are the big ones. All right. And where, where else can people find you? I know you're all over social media. That's where yeah. I found you. Where else can people find you? You can find me at Instagram at it's Lily Kate. You can find me on TikTok at the Lily Kate, although I've been kind of shadow banned on there. So uh, I don't really do Facebook, but those are the three main ones, Instagram and TikTok. Okay. So, so we're, we're of a different generation a little bit. So <laughs> you're, you're more on the stuff that uh, I'm not as strong on. I'm more on Facebook cause I'm a little bit older, but uh, that's okay. Th- those are great. And, and, you know, I'm not a huge fan of so much of what social media does, but we as conservatives need to use it to our advantage to do good things, which you are Uh, certainly doing by being out there because you are influencing people, even though you're being shadow banned and big tech is after you and anyone conservative. So, uh, okay. So Lily Kate from the Lily Kate show, uh, an up and coming conservative woman um, going after the feminists, going after uh, the big tech and advocating for homeschooling, which she is a product of. So uh, Lily Kate, thanks so much for being here. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. And thank all of you for joining me on this episode of Fides Podcast with Lily Kate. Uh, Please check her out. uh, Check out her podcast and all the different podcast apps. Just look up uh, Lily Kate Show uh, and check out all my podcasts on all the different podcast apps as well. And uh, check me out on YouTube, Rumble, and every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on rightamericamedia.com for some of my video podcasts. So thanks again for joining me and we'll see you next time.